The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Take your Bibles. Turn to Philippians with me. Philippians chapter 3. I know that you're Study sheets say Galatians chapter 6, but uh, I want to go ahead and read from Philippians chapter 3. So let's go there together. And look at verse 17 with me. I'll read aloud if you read silently. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Let's pray before we go into our message today. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the power of your word, and uh, thank you for the truth therein. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given us to instruct us and to comfort us, to teach us all things. Be with us now as we study from your word and bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice with me there, Paul says, uh, mark them which walk. Uh, I think it's important uh, that we learn to follow good examples. Amen? We shouldn't follow the poor examples that we find. And the Bible does have some poor examples for us to to, to consider, there are men in the Bible who are clearly uh, represented as poor examples. But certainly we should seek to, to follow the example of men that walk according to the, to the power and the grace of God. And that's, this is exactly what we've been studying. We've been, I've been teaching a series of lessons entitled The Marks of Success. And over the, over the past four lessons that we've taught, We've considered uh, some men of the scriptures who, who are set out as, as good examples for us. We, we looked at the attribute of obedience. And who can tell me who we, who we attach to obedience? Can anyone tell me? Noah. That's right. We talked about Noah. Uh, of all men on the earth in Noah's day, um, only Noah obeyed God. Only Noah uh, heeded the word of God and built an ark to the safety of his family. And uh, Noah, we, we looked at obedience. Then, what about faith? Who did we attach to, to the attribute of faith? Everybody ought to know this. Abraham. Abraham, of course, we, we said is the father of the faithful. Uh, and then we talked about purpose. Now, who did we, who did we use as an example of, of purpose? Daniel, that's right. The Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Daniel was a man of purpose. He was a man of of commitment and determination. And then we, the, the fourth attribute we looked at was that of courage. Now everyone should know who we use to, to um, illustrate courage. David, that's right. David was a man of courage, and it's seen throughout his life that David had the courage. He had proven God in his life, and he, he had faith in, 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 in the power of God, and it gave him courage and confidence. And we looked at these men. Now, these men are not perfect, as I'm sure you realize. Who can tell me what Noah did after he got off the ark? Anyone tell me? He, built, he, he planted a vineyard. 
He fermented wine and he became drunk, right? Abraham, what did Abraham do? Huh? He went into Egypt and what? He lied, right? Abraham on several occasions lied. Um, uh, now, Daniel, you can read the scriptures completely and you'll find no fault in Daniel. Daniel was one of two men in the scriptures that no fault was pointed upon. One was Daniel. Anyone know who the other one was? Maybe? Joseph. That's right. Joseph, uh, you find no scriptures uh, where, where any faults were, were laid upon Joseph. Uh, but then David, we, we know David did some things wrong, right? Committed, uh, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He committed murder. Had Uriah killed. So uh, we, we see that these men aren't perfect. And by the way, none of us are perfect, right? Uh, yeah, all of us in this room, no matter who we think we are, all of us in this room have faults. And we have, we have things that we would not want other people to know about. Uh, but these are men of examples. These are men who, whose lives, for the most part, led an example. And uh, these characteristics we talked about, obedience, faith, purpose, courage... When these attributes, when these characteristics permeate our lives, they, they cause us to make right decisions. They cause us to take the right actions in life. So I'm going to continue this study now, and we're going to, we're going to not look necessarily at people anymore, but now we're going to look at common, uh, common factors which will cause each, which cause each of these men to, to succeed and will cause you and I also to succeed in our walk for Christ. So we're going to look at, over the next several lessons, we're going to look at some common factors. And today, we're going to begin with the first of, of many. And today, I want to say, number one, we must contend for the faith. We must contend for the faith. Now, in Jude, in the book of Jude, in the third verse, if you'd like to turn there, you can. Uh, Jude, the third verse, let's turn there together. And we read from there, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Uh, now, the, the words there, earnestly contend, uh, this phrase derives from a Greek word, the Greek word agon. And the word agon occurs 19 times in the Greek New Testament. Five times this word is translated to mean fight or fought. Five times it is translated as strive or striving. Two times this word agon is translated to, uh, to mean a conflict. And then uh, it is translated one time, once each, as the words agony, laboring, contention, race, suffer, subdued, and contend. So we have a word here that we have to consider used in the context of each, of each uh, occurrence and make sure that we're applying it correctly. So the first common factor that uh, the Christian... Um, must possess to be successful is that we must contend for the faith. Now, this agony referred to, and, and by the way, in Jude chapter, in, in Jude verse 3, that word there is translated as agony. And the agony referred to in the third verse of Jude is referring to the inner struggles 
of the Christian life. It's not referring to an outward struggle. It's referring to an inward struggle. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, we read, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And Paul tells us, he, he instructs us in Galatians chapter 5 of this inner struggle that takes place in the life of the believer, this, this struggle between the flesh and between the spirit. And there's a constant battle. We've all experienced that, right? We've all had moments in our Christian life when we, when we have our, our flesh battling against the spirit, uh, one encouraging us to do one thing and the other demanding us to do the other. And we have these things going on in our lives, the spirit and the flesh lusting and battling and struggling for the believer. So James here in this verse we read is not giving us a license to be contentious with others. He's not giving us permission to go out and be divisive or argumentative or anything else with, with other people. Many will translate this verse to mean that. But in fact, the usage of the word uh, in the New Testament usually focuses on the struggles of the competitor within himself. It is the struggles we face with our own sin nature. Remember, in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, Paul states, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now those verses are kind of tongue twisters. Paul says the good that I would I do not do, and the evil that I wouldn't that that's what I do. And he's he's referring to that inner struggle. He's referring to the fact that the spirit in him wants to do good, but the flesh in him wants to do evil. And though he knows what he should do, often he can't do it because of, the, because of the, the flesh in him. And this is the struggle we face. And this is what Jude is talking about when he says that we are to contend. And, and the word for should actually be in. We are to contend in the faith. We are to, we are to fight that battle within ourselves every day. We, we struggle and we face our own sin nature. It's the struggle we face with temptations and the struggle we face with evil desires. And they come from every source. They come from the television. They come from the, uh, from the internet. They come from the radio. They come from the workplace. Uh, these, these temptations and, and these, these evil desires, uh, are about us every day at every place. And it is a constant struggle. It is a contention. We battle, we, we, we fight against these things. We don't fight against people. It's not fighting with others, as this would be inconsistent with the principles taught to us by Christ and the apostles. Right? Did Jesus tell us to go out there and fight and argue with everybody? No, he didn't. He told us as much as lieth in us to do what? Dwell at peace among men. So the contention we're talking about here, this contending for the faith, uh, it, it, it should more properly be stated contending in the faith that we are battling within ourselves. It is the conflict uh, within ourselves that James had in mind when he wrote these things. 
Now, the struggle that we, we face in our Christian lives can be seen in two ways. First, there is the struggle in preparation. The struggle in preparation. And what do I mean by preparation? Well, I mean in, in preparing our hearts and minds to, to live for Christ in, in, in the years of development in our children, the preparation is the years of growing and, and being taught these things. These are, the, these are the preparations that I'm talking about here. The struggle is in, is in our preparation. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. Let's turn there together. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Everyone turn to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll read verse 25. We read, read here from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in the 25th verse. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. You see here, uh, what Paul is saying is every man that striveth for the mastery or competes or, uh, or, or an athlete, for instance, when an athlete is training, when he's prepared himself, uh, this is the, this is the, the, uh, the, the train of thought that, that Paul is trying to deliver us here. Uh, this is the battle we fight within ourselves during our growth and development period, during our educational period we face this. Uh, consider an, an Olympic athlete, for instance. Consider him all the boring mornings and evenings of training and running endlessly through the rain, through the sleet, and through the snow. Anybody, how many of you know who Jim Ryan was? and still is. He's still alive. Jim Ryan uh, up, in, up in New York State. Jim Ryan was an Olympic miler. He was an Olympic mile runner. And uh, he said he was the first human to ever break the four-minute mile. He did it in high school, as a matter of fact. And uh, Jim Ryan trained for, for the Olympics. Uh, he, he, he attempted three Olympic uh, competitions. And uh, that, that involved 12 years of training. He was going to do a fourth, but he was unable to compete because he developed mononucleosis and could not compete in that Olympic. But for 12 training years, Jim Ryan ran 10 miles every day. 10 miles. He would run five miles in the morning, five miles in the evening. It didn't matter if it was raining. It didn't matter if it was snowing. It didn't matter if it was sleeting. No matter what, he ran 10 miles every day. He did that for 12 years, 365 days a year. Now, you do the math. He ran a long ways, and he never won the gold medal. He never did. Came close, but he never won. But Jim Ryan didn't quit. He, he, can you imagine the struggle he faced in, 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 in completing all of this? Um, the regimen of eating special food and staying away from all those delicious desserts and, and yummy drinks like chocolate shakes and all those good things. Um, they deny themselves of all these things. Uh, can you imagine the Olympic athlete, his body and his mind fighting with him continually? running all those miles up and down those hills in, in New York State and, and, and aching and sore and wanting to quit. The mind saying, stop this, this is crazy. Uh, the body saying, stop this, this is crazy. The mind pushing him forward, pushing him on to accomplish his goal. And all of this for Olympic glory. 
Now think about you and me today. We too must constantly fight. We too must constantly struggle uh, to make ourselves train day after day, to make ourselves prepare to serve the Lord day after day. Listen, if you think you're just going to wake up in the morning and the Holy Spirit's going to fluff you up and make you all pretty and, and you're going to have a glorious great day without any effort, you're sadly mistaken. The devil will sift you as wheat and, and you will fail. It's a, it's a struggle day after day. Uh, we, we must be consistent in prayer. Every day the Christian must, must drop to his knees, come to the Lord, and be consistent in his prayer life. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 tells us, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 tells us, pray without ceasing. Folks, uh, we have to be consistent and constant in prayer, uh, but not just in prayer, but also in Bible study and meditation. Uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate when? Day and night. Second uh, Timothy 2.15 tells us to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Sad to say, I think probably most Christians uh, never read the Bible. The only time they ever open the Bible, the only time they ever read the Bible is when they're in church. And praise the Lord for that. But daily we are to come to the word of God and allow the, the Holy Spirit to instruct us and, and, and convict us and motivate us from the word of God. Bible study is an important part of our training. It's an important part of our preparation. And, and it's a struggle. How many of you ever, ever had a, a, a day when you, you just didn't, you, you struggled to, to study the Bible? Any of you could say that? You could say, yeah, I'll admit, I've had some days when studying the Bible is really hard, especially in those days when we have problems, right? When there are so many things crowding our mind and demanding our attention, the word of God becomes, becomes difficult for us to find the time to, to come to it and, and, and to, to, to glean from it. It's a struggle. It's a battle. And we, we have to contend against the flesh. We have to contend against the world in these things. Uh, we also need to, to, to be constant and consistent in our in godly behavior, in the way we conduct ourselves, in our manner of speech, in our actions, in our thoughts, in our deeds. We need to, we need to contend in all these things. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, Paul states, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That word conversation there means your lifestyle, your manner of life. Uh, That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And Paul says here, whether I'm with you or whether I'm away from you, you are constant in in your godly behavior. You know, a lot of Christians are like chameleons. You know that? I've I've been been in the ministry 33 years and I've observed a lot of people. And I find a lot of Christians are, are like chameleons. 
You ever see a chameleon? He jumps on a brown fence post. What happens to him? Turns brown. Jumps on a green tree branch. What happens? Turns green. He jumps on a polka dotted uh, shirt. He passes out. But many Christians are like chameleons. If they're at church around Christian people, they, they behave appropriately. They act appropriately. They speak appropriately. But when they get to their workplace, what happens? Well, the language starts to slip. Their, their uh, lifestyle begins to be get a little bit more loose. Huh? Well, Paul says, no, we need to strive together for the faith of the gospel. We need to, we need to contend that, that we have godly behavior in church, at work, at the store, at the football stadium. Huh? Wherever we are, at the ballpark. Yeah, everywhere we go, we need to have this godly behavior. And it's a battle. It's not, it's not an easy thing. It's a struggle. And we must contend within ourselves. We must, we must battle in our own flesh, in our own minds. We must battle to walk according to the spirit. Remember in Galatians 5.17, we said the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. But if you look at the very next verse... It says, walk ye in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So we're, we're to live our life walking in the spirit of Christ. You know, I, I've told this to many people. Just because something is funny doesn't mean it's good. Did you ever see some of the profane humor of the world? I mean, yeah, it's funny. And it's... And it's, and it's um, Timing in its sense, it's funny, but it's, it's, it's terrible. It's not right. And we need, to, we need to be people who are aware of that. Does, in other words, does what I say glorify God? Does how I react glorify God? Does what I think glorify God? That's the key. We must contend to have godly behavior in our lives. Paul reminded the Corinthian believers that, that he faces these struggles every day. Paul wasn't immune to facing this struggle. He wasn't immune to these things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, I think we're there, right? We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's look at verse 26 and 27. Paul writes, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body. And bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And what Paul is saying here is he, he faces this struggle every day. And he has, to, he has to keep his body, his own body, himself, his mind, his, his, his mouth, his, his feet, his hands. Everything needs to be controlled so that he himself can glorify the Father in all things. Paul realizes that the pain we face on the practice field and in the training room will not eliminate the pain in the race. Did you hear me carefully? How many of you have ever competed in athletics? Boy, the practice field is hard, isn't it? I mean, the coaches run you. When I was in, when I was in football, at, at Nichols State University in college, there were buckets every 10 yards along the sideline. You know what those buckets were for? 
Anybody have any idea? I don't want to be gross. They were for, they were for up chucking. That's right. The coach would say, don't you throw up on my field. You make it to one of those buckets. And then when you're done, you get back over here because you got to get back to work. It wasn't easy. It's hard. It's hard. We, we had a basketball team here one time and we'd run those boys up and down this floor and they were almost in tears. They were almost crying. They'd run out the back door to go throw up in the back parking lot and they'd come back in and we'd run them some more and we'd run them some more and we'd run them some more and we'd run them and we'd run them and we'd run them and we'd run them. But guess what? They still had to run in the game. And they still got tired in the game. But there's something about making them do it in the practice field that gives them the courage to do it on the competition field. Paul realized that it's not going to eliminate the pain in the race. However, it will give us the strength to continue in the face of the pain. In Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In verse 37, he says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Paul says, yeah, there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sacrifice. But none of those things are going to separate you from Christ. And in the race, you will have the strength and you will have the courage and you will have the confidence to, to go forward and, and to succeed. And this race that we are in is a special race. You see, the, the Greeks had a, had a race in which the winner wasn't determined by who finished first. The winners were determined, winners were determined by all who finished the race. So, and that's the race we're in. Listen, the race isn't, the, the winner of our race in the Christian life isn't determined by who finished first because Noah finished first, right? Uh, so the, but in our race, in the Christian life, the victory comes to all those who finished the race, who are faithful and who, who are consistent and who continue to run the race. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Paul states, Know ye not? that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And what he's saying here is we're all going to obtain the prize. We're all going to receive that, that crown of life when we, when we stand before the Lord in that day. So run. Be faithful to run. Be consistent to run. So first we see that there are struggles in the preparations of our heart and mind. There are struggles that we face. There are contentions for us to deal with. But then secondly, we see that there is a struggle in performance. I have to check the clock here. Give me a second. Oh, okay. We're good. There's a struggle in performance. Turn with me now. Let's go to 2 Timothy together, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. And let's begin reading at verse number 1. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. 
Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, here we go back to the training, right? We've, we've, we've gone through all these preparations and trainings. We've gained strength in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And verse 2, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. So first we saw the struggle in preparation, but now we see the struggle in performance. There is no doubt that warfare is agony. In the battles of Guadalcanal, Peleliu, and Okinawa, men sat for days in foxholes while it rained unmercifully on them. They took no baths. They had no place to use the bathroom. And their deceased fellow soldiers lay all about them. Snakes, rats, huge spiders, Crawled all of them. Now, that would be the worst thing for me. I can take the snakes, snakes and the rats, but the spider's got to go. That's, that's, no. But these things crawled all around and even over them as they tried to catch just a few moments of sleep. Their food, when available, was, was not four-star. Their clothes cling to their body from the filth. Their enemy would often mutilate the bodies of of, of the fellow soldiers that they killed and our soldiers would come upon and witness these awful scenes of carnage. Disease abounded and sometimes no medics could get near the sick to, uh, to comfort them or to offer relief. It was, it was agony, extreme agony. Now for the Christian, the spiritual conflict may not seem as real are as awful as, as physical war. But in reality, spiritual warfare is just as real and just as agonizing. We sometimes get the wrong idea about this phrase, earnestly contend for the faith. We picture ourselves as warriors going forth to conquer Satan and going forth to conquer sin. But that is not what God's word teaches us. Nowhere in the scriptures do we find that we've been commanded to battle Satan. Nowhere in the scripture do we find that we are to battle sin. Christ, Christ has defeated Satan, hasn't he? Hasn't he? Christ has defeated sin and the grave. Did he not? It is Jesus that has, has won the war. Now, what happens after a war ends? Well, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of small skirmishes that till, still take place, right? Uh, a policing force needs to come in and needs to try to get control of everything within the country and and, and try to bring order back and government back and these types of things. Now, 
Satan hasn't completely given up, has he? He still hounds us. He still attacks us at every opportunity he has. Uh, He continually seeks to ambush the Christian. But our fight is not to give in to these attacks. We're not attackers. We're defenders. Everybody following me? When the war is over, the soldiers go home and some soldiers become what's known as the policing force. We saw that, right? We saw that in Iraq. We saw that in Afghanistan. And, and to some it may seem ridiculous, but uh, that's what we are. We're, the def- we're defenders now. We're not attackers anymore. We're defenders. Jesus did the attacking. He defeated Satan. He conquered sin. He conquered the grave. Now we just need to resist. There's the key word. Resist. Now, let me give you two thoughts and try to get them in here in the next five minutes. First, contending for the faith is not fighting against sinners. Did you hear what I said? Contending for the faith is not fighting against sinners. Romans chapter 12, we read, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide honest things in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now, does that sound like we're supposed to be fighting against sinners? I don't think it does. Sounds to me like we're to have compassion upon sinners. That we're to, we're to pray for them. We're to, we're to witness to them. We're to strive to, to show them the love of Christ in our lives. Can we do that if we're out there attacking them all the time? No, we can't. Many Christians take a strong stand uh, on standards and are quick to attack others who do not take the same stand. They use the phrase contending for the faith as their scriptural license for criticizing others who do not share the same standards. It is not a Christian's duty to spend his days fighting other people. Instead, we are to exhibit love and compassion towards all men, especially those of the household of faith. And it is our duty to be witnesses under the grace and mercy of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're to earnestly contend with our own heart and keep it under subjection. As I read earlier, Paul said, I keep my body, keep under my body and bring it into subjection. So contending for the faith is not fighting against sinners. Now, there may be times when we have to take a stand against a group of people or against a movement or something such as that. That's not what I'm talking about here, though. We're not to go around attacking people for, because they don't believe or, or, or think exactly as we do. We need to be careful about that. But then also contending for the faith is not fighting against Satan. Now, let me, let me qualify this statement. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, be sober, be vigilant, 
because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Resist. Contending for the faith or contending in the faith does not mean fighting the devil. As I said earlier, nowhere does the Bible tell us to fight the devil. Instead, we are told to resist and we are told to stand against him when he fights us. Do you understand, realize you and I do not have the power to defeat the devil in our flesh? And Christ has not asked us to go out and attack the devil? What he's asked us to do, what he's commanded us to do is to resist the devil. How do we resist him? How did Jesus resist the devil when he was being tempted by Satan? Can anyone tell me? With the word of God. The word of God is our sword. It's our weapon. When the devil comes to us and attacks us, we simply turn to the word of God and we stand by faith upon God's word and we let Jesus battle Satan. Resist, stand. These are defensive terms, not offensive terms. In fact, we are equipped with the armor necessary to defend ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against uh, flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. Having done all to stand. It's, it's defensive. It's an armor. It's, it's, it's meant to uh, protect us from the attacks of Satan. And that armor is given to us by God. What does it pertain to? Well, it has the, the, the truth. He says, stand fast, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. It's the truth of God's word. It's the, it's the righteousness of Christ. Your feet are shod with the gospel of peace. Above all, the, the, take the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of of God. Do you see the, do you see our, how we are to battle? We're not to, we're not to be contentious, uh, but we're, we're, we're defensive. We stand on, on our faith with Christ. We have all these, we have the righteousness of Christ. We have the gospel. We have salvation. We have faith. We have all these weapons, uh, the sword of the spirit that God has given us that we can, that we can defend ourselves against the devil, against sin, against the world. But the struggle is not against those things. The struggle is in here. Your worst enemy is the person you look at in the mirror every morning. That's your biggest enemy. It's yourself. It's yourself. And James says to earnestly contend for the faith. He's not saying go out there and get in a fight with people. Not, not go out. Now again, there may be times when we have to take a stand against things. But what he's talking about when he says contend for the faith, it's in here. It's in here. It's to, it's to, to, to rest upon Christ and his righteousness and his strength. All right, folks, I have to stop, I think. Yep, I have to stop. 
So thank you for being here this morning. We'll pick this up. I think in two weeks we'll look at the second part of this message. So thank you for being here this morning, and you are dismissed for 10 minutes. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.